Hi everyone, it is Devin and Courtney back with another episode of Eat Meat and Question Everything. Today we are joined by the one and only Dr. Bart K. Thank you so much for being here with us. We are so excited. I'm just going to get right into it because there's we're going to need all the time in the world to talk because we have a ton of stuff to get into. So can you just start by telling us about yourself and anyone who doesn't know about you, just all the things? Sure. Okay, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure to um, get out there and um, basically cross-pollinate as much as possible with all sorts of people all over the internet. The important thing is the message, not necessarily any one of the people delivering the message, I think. But that's for another day. Okay, about myself. Um, I spent about 26 years in academia as a senior academic, and I was... Throughout that period of time, I changed direction about three different times and had three different specializations that I was teaching students within. I started out with the physiology of rest and exercise, which was typically, be quiet, GoPro, who asked you? Goodness, <laughs> how rude. It's not even supposed to be turned on and it's beeping away to itself. You can edit that out later if you like. Um, <laughs> yeah, I started out teaching the physiology of rest and exercise, which translates generally for most people to actually sport and exercise science is what that was. And I taught that for about half of the time that I was in academia. And then after that, I was into human nutrition. And then finally, I finished up with cardiovascular pathophysiology which is what causes heart disease, what doesn't, what causes atherosclerosis, all of that. Um, over and above all of that, I also did some study into pure and applied statistics and statistical inference. So how is science litigated with the numbers? How do we prove things or disprove things? And so that kind of gives me a, a fairly well-rounded view, I guess, on not only the human body and how it works, but also how the so-called science is used to fool us or to try and pull the wool over our eyes. So that's me in a nutshell. Did a bunch of research projects, got a bunch of them published, did some major external consultancies with huge multi-million dollar organizations, the usual thing an academic does. And then at the end of the 2018 academic year, thought much better of it because you don't get much thanks for it, frankly. Um, and I decided that I was going to do something much easier. Uh, and then for some reason decided that being a YouTube influencer was it. No. Uh, anyway, there it is. Um, that's me in a nutshell. Um, thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And yeah, being a uh, YouTuber is definitely a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. So we appreciate all the information you put out there. Um, I guess one of my questions is being in academia, obviously with the positions that you take right now, um, you probably got a lot of pushback. Is that why you left academia? Was there a moment where you were like, I can no longer continue teaching this? Um, or how was that decision made? Yeah, um, absolutely. It was a factor and, and not an insignificant factor. It wasn't the only factor, but it certainly was a factor. Um, a lot of people would not necessarily understand that as an academic, unless you are at the absolute top echelons, unless you are pulling in millions and millions of dollars in research funding, which very few academics successfully do, 
then basically your source of income is a salary and it struggles to get much above about 80 grand, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is a reasonable living, but for the pound of flesh they ask you for for that, not so much so. The number of hours that you need to put in to be a successful, even mid-range academic, it's it's easily 80 hours a week, um, which, you know, I'm spending that much and more now on the YouTube channel. So it's just a habit. I don't know. But um, I'm earning more now as a YouTube influencer than I ever did as an academic. So... Uh, Obviously, the, the success doesn't come straight away, but if you stick at it and do the right things, which I'm still learning about some of the things not to do, you know, um, you'll get there. Okay, was was the pushback from academia a real um, a real facet to why I'm no longer doing it? Yes, it was, absolutely. Um, I've always been one who has looked behind the facade what with the the full understanding of the statistics and the science and all of that. And I've always found the problems with what is being taught. And I've always said, I'm not going to teach that. That's not correct. And there are two sort of competing interests there. The first one is a law that exists in just about every westernized nation for academics. It's called academic freedom, variously in different places. And what it says ostensibly is that an academic is free to hold and espouse any opinion they should see fit to any person they should see fit to espouse that opinion to including groups of students whether or not that opinion is popular or consensus or whatever in other words it's 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 enshrined in litigation it's it's um, it's freedom of speech for academics basically that is offset by another side of academia where programs are run by boards of control for various programs of study that have documents called curriculum documents that turn around and tell academics this is what we teach now every single time i applied for an academic position always one of the questions you get in such an interview is what makes you different from everybody else that could come in here and teach this and I tell them straight up, well, I'm going to have a different opinion. I'm going to show a different light on this. I'm going to go to the bottom of the rabbit warren. I'm going to teach students how to think rather than how to regurgitate things that are wrong. I'm going to show them what's wrong with the curriculum. Oh, that's exciting, they say, and they give you the job. And then you get into the classroom and start doing that. And then they turn around and say, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, are you stoned? <laughs> what is wrong with you? You asked me why I was different. I told you I was different and I was going to be different and I was going to exercise my right to academic freedom and I was going to tell students the truth and you gave me the job. Now you're telling me not to do it? (laughs) No. So, yeah, there was 25, 26 years of that. And it it wasn't any one point, except, I guess, at the end of the academic year in 2018 when I said, you know what, I'm not actually going to be here next year. You can find someone else to sit in this corner office and you know do all of that actually good luck see you later um but it was a long time coming it wasn't any one situation or yeah so i know long-winded answer sorry <laughs> it was important though because i feel like you have a, a a perspective that not all of us get most of us don't mm-hmm. get in fact the only person i can really think of is dr zaldivar who has mm-hmm. that academic 
perspective that we've spoken to. Um, uh, so all of this is about diet and nutrition, truly. That's why we're all listening. That's what we care about. That's what people are looking to kind of think critically about. Um, Courtney and I are pretty strict carnivores, as I believe you are too. As mm -hmm. a professor and somebody who has studied this, what is your definition and practice of a proper human diet? And what does that look like for you? Yeah, okay. So the ideal proper human diet as determined by our genes, our organ systems, our metabolic pathways. Basically, anytime you look at any of the hard sciences regarding human physiology and human nutrition requirements, which by the way, you will not find any of those hard sciences in the ring-fenced area of ideology, propaganda, and spin doctrine known as human nutrition science. You will find it in anthropology, you will find it in comparative anatomy and physiology, you will find it in biochemistry studies, etc. You will not find any science or common sense even in the so-called fraternity of um, human nutrition scientists. Okay, they're all ideologues, every one of them. Um, the appropriate human diet is one that does not contain any plant material at all. In practice, you might substitute to speak of because very few people are perfect in terms of their self-discipline, their application of the knowledge that no plant material is optimal. And that is because of the way our society is set up, the normative behaviors, what people think is expected and what people offer. Um, it's also around the fact that many modern so-called foods are highly addictive and appealing to the human um, psychology and other aspects of things as well that sort of suck us into that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm thinking 95% carnivore upwards is probably pretty good. In my personal experience, however, 95% carnivore is not 95% as effective for your health as 100%, not by a long chalk. You think, oh, well, maybe 5% transgression against carnivore would give you a 5% penalty on your, on your health status? No. It's more like 50%. It's, mm -hmm. it's really completely unreasonable and unfair. But nonetheless, this is something that we cannot negotiate with. There is no higher power to negotiate to on this. Humans are designed to eat animals and not plants. And if you put plant so-called foods into your mouth and eat those, you're asking for a problem and you're going to get it. It's that simple. Um, so that's my take on it. Um, that's what my experience is. That's what the science outside of nutrition science tells us all of it, and it's all in mind, by the way. And that's also what all the anecdotes tell us, that you go 100% carnivore and it resolves just about every complaint known to man. What about dairy or like eggs and stuff? Are you eating those too? Yeah, I am one of those individuals that doesn't do well on lactose at all. And as such, I don't drink any milk or consume any milk or anything containing milk in its natural form pasteurized or otherwise however i can eat yogurt if i choose to selected yogurt 
I can eat cheese. I do eat a lot of butter. It's just milk, really. That's that's an issue for me. And eggs, I have a um, a propensity to to react badly to eggs sometimes, especially if they're not cooked. But even if they're cooked, there seems to be a limit to the number of eggs I can take. And I'm one of those people that reacts. Most people don't react to eggs, and eggs are fun. eggs are actually a great source of nutrition for those that don't react. They're awesome. Dairy is plus or minus for people. A lot of people swear by dairy and say, oh, dairy is you know, brilliant and all this. Great, fine. If that's your experience, don't fix it. But dairy is certainly not a requirement for human beings. It's a fairly modern practice, really, in terms of the evolutionary process that we're talking about. Hmm. Okay. So one of, I, one of my favorite things to just listen to you explain, because this is one of the biggest pushbacks and like, well, what about this, um, about carnivore? And I don't think most people don't understand because they've never done a high fat diet. Anyone who knows what a high fat diet is truly like, will tell you that you do not need fiber in order to have a healthy digestive system. I would like to speak and have you explain because I'm not quite there yet with the science, I understand it, but you can speak about it in like a very, um, using the term proper terms uh, about how being in a state of ketosis is actually, the, it's basically the, there's the fat and the chemicals and the things produced with acetylcholine something um, actually helps the gut microbiome. Um, but you're all about the science I can follow, but I can't explain. And I just think that that is such an important thing that people need to hear because that's the biggest thing. Well, what about fiber? You must be constipated all the time because you have fiber. You don't have any fiber. And that's so not true at all. Um, mm. but I think the science behind it is really, people are always asking about the science. So could you yeah. just talk about how ketones, ketosis, the gut microbiome, because I heard you talk about this with Dr. Zaldivar, and I think I've listened to it about 10 times because I love it so right. much. Cool, cool. All right, so one of the things, as you rightly say, Devin, is that the those that want to push the plant-based narrative upon us, those that want us to believe that we absolutely must eat plants or, or else woe betide, there'll be a problem, they will say that you need to consume fiber because in our colons, there lives a range of bacteria that are able to break down fiber a little bit in our guts. Not much, actually, a little bit. Yeah. And ferment that fiber, and they produce these things called short-chain fatty acids. The most common of which, the most useful of which, is butyrate, or butyric acid, if you like. Um. And they say, you know, without butyric acid or butyriate is what it actually is. Then the enteric cells of the colon starve and suffer and they're unhealthy and they become loose. And, you know, it's all it's all a real major problem. You must have this short chain fatty acid. And the only place you can get it is from bacteria producing it in your gut from breaking down fiber. The problem with that theory is that it's complete nonsense, basically. The reason being that the enteric cells of the colon, the, the cells that line your colon, don't care whether this butyriate is fed to them from the inside of the colon, 
from the fermentation of fiber by bacteria, or whether the very exact same butyrate is fed into that cell from the bloodstream on the other side. Now, what is it that would put butyrate into your bloodstream? Oh, yes, beta-hydroxybutyrate. In other words, ketone bodies manufactured by your liver by breaking down fats. Whoopsie, there goes that argument. Done. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it makes, I've listened to it so many times because I'm like, oh my God, like it all makes sense. It's so easy to understand. I might not know the terminology, but I'm like, you know, how are we all eating this very high fat, zero carb diet. And I, I know quite a few people who are struggling during the transition because they don't have that ratio perfected for them yet. So they either have the loose stools or they're not having enough stools. Um, but the people who have kind of been through done that introduction, you know, transition phase, no, none of them have issues. And I'm like, how are we all doing this so properly and having no issues, you know, and it's, it's the fat, it's the ketones, the fat, the whole combination is just like, you know, it makes her that perfect recipe for digestion health. Yeah. I have near perfect, uh, enteric bowel function. Um, I am seven and a half years into 95% plus up to a hundred percent at various times carnivore. I do not consume any significant amount of fiber to speak of at all. Um, Dr. Sean Baker, for example, is over 10 years now, as I believe also is Jordan Peterson and Michaela Peterson. I think they're both over 10 years as well. Uh, Kelly Hogan, 12 years, for example. Now, have these people not been to the bathroom in 12 years or more? You know, no. How about Richard Rodriguez? 39 years carnivore. Do you think he hasn't been to the bathroom for 39 years because he's, <laughs> he's constipated? It must be the scurvy. The scurvy's kicking in. Exactly. That scurvy that should have killed him within six weeks. <laughs> I know someone, years ago. Someone commented and they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to be lucky to make it to like 30. And I was like, well, thank mm. God I made it. Thank God mm. I made it past that. You know, yes. thank goodness. Um, mm. I know Courtney you have a, there was one question you really wanted to answer, ask about the vitamin C too. Well, that too, but I just, um, more so like the fruit, I guess it goes hand in hand. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on what Saladino is doing. So he was actually my intro into the mm. carnivore space. I've been in the keto world on and off for six years. I had never heard about this until like five months ago, he blew up on TikTok. So mm. my husband went strict carnivore and I started with animal based. I was still probably around like 50 carbs. I was trying to be mindful of it. And then after a while, I noticed it like messing with my hunger cues. I could eat like, I probably had at least 2000 calories of steak and I would have a handful of blueberries and then I would want more and more and more. So I'm just curious because I, I see a lot of people grabbing onto his way of eating. And I just want to know your thoughts on well i know your thoughts but i would like you to share your thoughts to everybody on having like that high fat diet and also having the fruits and sugars yeah okay so what people need to understand about paul saladino if nothing else 
is that Paul Saladino's interest is Paul Saladino's bank account balance, period. That's what Paul Saladino is interested in. Paul Saladino is interested in what is going to be the most popular thing to say. What do most people want to hear? People want good news about their bad habits. They want someone who is credible, which Paul Saladino used to be, but no longer is, in fact, actually, to tell them that what they're doing is okay. People are suffering from addiction to carbohydrates, and Paul is one of those people, without any question, clearly. And they want to justify their use of basically what is a dangerous contraindicated poison uh, in an in a attempt to change the way they feel about life in some way. And that's what Paul has done. He's come up with a theory that suggests that you need a whole bunch of carbohydrates in your diet. And what he's now doing is pouring 400 grams of carbohydrates down his silly neck every day of his life, which he gets away with for now because of his physical activity level. Basically, it will not last. Paul Saladino will suffer the consequences of his carbohydrate abuse at some point mark my words there is no escape from this and what would that be well he'll be causing himself massive damage by glycation which is when sugar molecules bind to all sorts of proteins and structures in his body and stuff and will start to interfere with the function of those things including things like his dna and stuff so he will start to age rapidly in the next few years, I, you know, we're not allowed to comment on people's appearance directly on YouTube. Apparently, that's against terms of it's bullying. Apparently, to suggest that someone suddenly looks old or something. I think that people should look at images of Paul Saladino recently, with even five years ago, and make their own judgment on that. I so I, it's 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 up for people to make their own call on that. I'm not allowed to mention it. But there you go. That's that's something to look at for yourselves. The problem with a diet which is rich in both fats and carbohydrates is that it will activate a part of your metabolic system called the Randall cycle, which collectively is just a way of describing a bunch of different aspects of your metabolic system that work together in a certain way to achieve a certain goal. When you activate the Randall cycle, it's there precisely to protect your valuable body cells from the kind of damage I was talking about to some degree from sugar. And it locks sugar out, basically, meaning that the sugar that you've taken in, which is too much sugar, is held in your bloodstream and not allowed access to the cells. And as such, it's your red blood cells and the cells that line your vascular tree that, that cop the damage. That's usually not so bad in evolutionary terms because we can replace those cells much more rapidly, much more quickly than much more simple cells. No big deal. If you occasionally ate a bunch of carbohydrate, which as we evolved, it was an occasional thing because it wasn't available to us 24-7 like it is now. Now people are pouring carbohydrates down their neck and in ever, amount, ever larger amounts every day of their lives, they are asking for this problem. And when the Randall cycle is activated to its full extent, 
that also activates chronic systemic inflammation necessarily cause and effect and chronic systemic in inflammation underpins obesogenesis getting fat type 2 diabetes type 1 diabetes and a whole bunch of other autoimmune dysfunctions as well most forms of cancer and dementia all the big killers all down to the Randall cycle chronic systemic inflammation all down to people having a diet which is mixed in terms of carbohydrates and fats. You should never under any circumstances do that in your diet. Pick one of those things to base your diet on and eliminate the other one insofar as that is at all possible. Before you do that, do some research into which diet, the one that's rich in fats and very, very poor in carbohydrates, or the one that's very, very rich in carbohydrates and very poor in fats, just work out which one of those is destitute of nutrition for a human being, and then you'll know which one you need to follow. I'll save you doing the homework. The high-carb, low-fat diet is absolutely destitute. It is lacking in a bunch of nutrients. It will destroy your health within three to five years. But, I mean, to give an example of that, vegans have a high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet mostly. 84% of people that ever go vegan quit that diet within five years. And 90% of those people say the reason they quit was because of catastrophic health failure born of nutrient deficiency. It's actually more than 50% in the first year of people quitting the vegan diet. 84% by five years. So um, that's that one in a nutshell in terms of the, the carbs and fat mixed together in general. Don't ever do that. The exact yeah. amount of carbohydrate you should eat every day is none, none at all. Yeah, this kind of, I'm glad you said all that. It makes sense. And it's also kind of concerning because, I mean, he does have such a large following. And I see a lot of people like in my community that still eat that way too. I mean, I did it first too, because it's kind of, he's giving you the permission to still eat those sweets. So you're, he, it's almost like enabling you to have all that sugar. So I get why it um, seems appealing. And I think people think they're doing a good thing because they think fruit's healthy and, and all the meats and they're like on board with that. But I don't think a lot of people are realizing the dangers of the, the fruit with the high fat. So hopefully this will help some people realize that. Is the way, is the most logical way to think about this in regards to evolution and how we were programmed, designed, or, you know, evolved to think of it in a way that, mm. um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, um, plant material such as fruit would have only been available for a very, very, very limited a time, yeah. if at all, depending on climate. So yeah. our ancestors would have eaten animal fats, animal proteins for majority of the year, and then had one harvest of berries, picked mm. that over once or twice in a short amount of time. Um, and that would have been their, the extent of consuming, uh, you know, the sugars. Is that, is that how it would have gone? Yeah. Also, okay. uh, that is absolutely correct. But also on top of that, the fruits that were available at all to humans throughout our evolutionary period were not remotely similar to what you can go down the green grocery and buy today. Mm -hmm. The fruits that we enjoy 
some of us enjoy these days are selectively bred versions of their natural equivalents that are designed to be plumper, richer in carbohydrates, sweeter, lower in fiber, you know, all of those things that make them appealing to us. If you have a look at what a banana used to be, it's not, it's nothing similar to what you will find now. Watermelon, exactly the same, you know, any fruit you like, basically, largely, even fruits were almost entirely fibrous and, and not highly fructose, sucrose containing, you know, sweet treats sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very, very um, um, recent is the word I'm looking for. It's a very recent thing that these kind of fruits have even been available. Well, even vegetables, but most vegetables that yeah. we eat from the grocery store are, you know, they were um, bred by humans in some way to be a special, like broccoli is from, I mean, like broccoli was never a thing. You know what I mean? It was just, it wasn't. So I don't think, I think people get all caught up in, well, it's green. It comes from the earth. And it's like, but it came from a, a type of earth that we designed. It wasn't, it wasn't like it sprouted from the ground naturally. It's essentially a designer food. Um, yeah. So I think that's it's not just fruit. I think it vegetables. Now, Same if someone you. were to eat produce, do you think vegetables are worse than fruit? Or do you just think it's like, there is no comparison? There are different classes of non-foods. Both vegetables and fruit are not food for human beings, period. There is no place in a healthy human diet for fruit or vegetables. They are contraindicated for different reasons. Fruit is contraindicated because of its high fructose level and its high fiber content. Because fiber, we we spoke about a bit before, as being um, not required in the diet not only is it not required it's actually a problem it will destroy your enteric function it seems you need to stay away from fiber it's really really destructive to us so you've got fructose and you've got fiber and fruit we don't need that in our lives it's it's both of those things are counterproductive to our health we need to stay away from those things on the vegetable side of things you've got much less sugar but you've still got fiber, which is still contraindicated. But on top of that, you've also got a suite of toxins, poisons, anti-nutrients, pro-inflammatory substances that plants put there precisely in order to discourage animals from eating them. We are not an animal that's evolved a strategy for gaining nutrition from plant material. Our strategy is to eat animals animals that eat plants mostly and that's the strategy that we need to follow that's our genetic gift that's how we've evolved for at least four and a half million years actually that's that's what's led us to where we are today and to suddenly think in the last literally few thousand years oh here's an idea instead of doing that let's turn our backs on that and do something completely different that we're not physiologically designed for we don't have the genes for we don't have the organ systems for we don't have the digestive tract for let's do that anyway and see how we go well it's been disastrous 
absolutely disastrous for human health. So um, fruits and vegetables, no, no thank you. Not at all. Okay, another thing, I, I, I think we both know that, but I think it's just such an argument, like it's just such an uphill battle to get people mm -hmm. to understand that. Um, another thing that often that I have, I've stopped engaging the arguments because it just gets so redundant and I'm sick, of, <laughs> I'm sick of explaining, but I think it's something important to address is evolution. Um, a lot of people will say, well, our teeth are not like apex predator teeth. We mm -hmm. don't have that design. We don't have the jaw jaw capacity that something like a wolf or a lion has, yes. yeah. um, which I agree with. But where I think the argument comes in is that we are also have much larger brains than those animals. Um, and our teeth aren't like theirs because we evolved to think to kill our prey instead of actively having to kill them with our mouths. So we were mm. never, we were you never. Know, they can't be carnivores. We don't have sharp pointy teeth like this. Even though, yeah. I mean, technically we do, we have some extent of that. And I also made a, I would, you know, did a little research about how, you know, a lot of people argue, well, we have herbivore teeth because we, our back teeth are flat, but if you try and move your jaw side to side, you actually can't. We have divots, like a horse, like I was a horseback rider, grew up, a, you know, grew up in farmlands. Horses can literally move their jaw in like a seesaw side to side, you know, type of motion, like just yeah. grinding constantly. And you, you have, you're a homesteader, aren't you, Dr. K? So you, you kind of like you would work this every day. Um, yeah. So you actually cannot move your side, your teeth side to side. Um, am I correct in assuming that we are bigger brained animals than other apex predators because we, our evolution, we evolved to hunt with tools in our, you know, a very strategic way instead of with our mouths. Yeah, exactly. So and this is an argument I've seen many times and the worst offender the most ridiculous offender on this on the on the social media influencing is a, is a bloke called Milton Mills, who is a clinically obese MD in the states, who is also a card carrying, card waving member of the Church of Loma Linda, frankly, and a high priest of the Church of Anorexia Vegana. And he's often basically saying we cannot possibly be carnivores because we don't have sharp pointy teeth like this. To which I always say, Milton, go and have a look at cave paintings, son. Do you see what those men are doing in those cave paintings? They're working together in large groups. They're communicating with each other using strategy. They're thinking about it. They're holding sharp pointy sticks, which they fashioned with their opposable thumbs because they were able to communicate with each other about his an idea. Since we don't have these, how about we fashion a stick that does the same thing? Oh, and here's an idea. If we get the gut of an, of an animal and we dry it out and we turn it into some kind of fiber and we string it across that stick, we can put another sharp pointy stick through that one and pew! That's incredible how that works. I've never seen a cave painting of any human beings diving headlong at woolly mammoths with their mouths open. <laughs> That's not how we did it. We are specialist animals. Well, what about our wisdom teeth? Because that's mm -hmm. what I, that's the one I'm not quite, 
I kind of feel like I know why we have wisdom teeth, but do you, do you know the answer to that? Because that's one I'm kind of like, I'm dumb. I'm dumbfounded by that one. So it, it seems to be a throwback. It seems to be the thing is the genes of any animal change for one of two reasons or both reasons simultaneously. They call positive selection pressure and negative selection pressure. So Positive selection pressure is when a particular gene, a particular trait in a species is selected for because it's useful. For example, large brain, opposable thumbs, ability to think and communicate, ability to build societies, to sit around the fire, to listen to our elders, to understand what's good for us, that kind of stuff. Or the other thing that can change our genes are things that are negatively selected against, something that is a problem and has to go because it stops us from being successful. And as such, that gene gets wiped out of the gene pool because those people don't even live long enough to be able to pass that gene on. Example, the gene that we used to have many millions of years ago where we could generate our own vitamin C no human being alive today has that gene. Not one of us. It is gone. The only time a gene disappears completely is when it is wiped out, knocked out, because it was a real problem that was killing us. Okay. Vitamin C was a problem for human beings above a certain level. And if we have a gene that we can create our own, real, real problems. And so it had to go. And so it did go. That said, there is no gene that would mean that our, the shape of our teeth have to change from what they used to be when we used to live in trees and eat fruit, mostly. The frugivorous teeth. That argument, oh, yes, but our teeth look like a frugivore's teeth. Of course they do. We're closely related to those frugivores. We have the same common ancestor many, many millions of years ago. And there was no negative pressure to, to say that we had to develop those because we've got these and these and these and sharp pointy sticks. I have never sat down to a plate of steak, that steak coming from a cow that was born five meters that way, lived five meters that way, ate the grass over the fence. In fact, I'm looking at a horse doing it right now. Died here, no air miles at all. Lovely, lovely steak, tasty, tasty. I have never sat down to such a plate of steak and gone to Pim, my partner. You know, Pim, I'm really grateful that you've prepared this steak for me, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to eat it because I don't have sharp, pointy teeth like this. That's never happened ever. I've got a fork and a knife and a... Beautiful steak. Lovely. My ancestors could do the same thing. So this whole argument... We're not designed for meat eating because, you know, frugivore teeth and all these. Are you stoned? No. Is that the same concept, like, like a vestigial organ, like the appendix? Because what my understanding, and this might not be correct, is that animals that like that eat primarily plants have very, very long and active appendixes 
-hmm. And that's because in our evolution, at one point where we would have millions and millions and millions of years ago had to have eaten or evolved from plant eaters, um, they actually, uh, I'm trying, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not the most intellectually there. Um, but basically plant eaters also get their fuel from fat as well, but they have to have organs in order to do that. And that's what an, that's what an appendix is. So we oh would have also at one point in evolution gotten our energy from plants, but then our bodies would have converted them into fat as well through an appendix. Yes. Okay. The the appendix in such animals, example, one of our close relatives, a gorilla, their appendix, ours is about that size, by the way. It's an it's a vestigial organ. It basically has no real function in terms of our digestion anymore. A gorilla's is massive. It's enormous. It's it's like it's this huge organ it's called a cecum in an animal that has a functioning cecum that is basically a fermentation chamber it's hind gut fermenting basically and what happens is the gorilla cultivates a huge population of kilograms and kilograms and kilograms of bacteria that break down the fiber that that gorilla consumes and the result is short-chain fatty acids, butyrate, that we were speaking about earlier. And as such, the um, proportion of a gorilla's diet that is fat is near 100%. And that is also nearly 100% saturated fat, by the way, as well. So, oh, you know, this idea that, that a plant-based diet is... Um, is better for us because it's lower in fat. Well, no, it isn't actually, unless you eat human invented so-called food-like substances that are rich in sugar or carbohydrates that break down to sugar, which is all carbohydrates, by the way. Um, a gorilla's diet is largely fibrous materials that are almost absent of sugar or starch to speak of. A gorilla gets its energy from fats, as you quite rightly point out there, Devon. So you're not far off at all there in, in being able to explain that. Um, that's basically what it is. Yeah. And that's why we would have it. That's why we hmm. had it at some point. So it is correct to say that at some point, millions and millions and millions of years ago, we would have been plant eaters. And I've heard Dr. Um, Kilt say we came out hmm. from the trees instead hmm. of you know, staying up there and like our, you know, the, the gorillas or whatever, we evolved into hunters and we became meat eaters. And that's why we have some of these, um, evolutionary keys that, you know, dictate that, but that we are no longer using because we've just slowly evolved to not use them. Yeah. Our, our ancestor about 5,000 years ago, lived in a tree and ate, um, leaves and fruit when it was available fibrous fruit by the way not sweet tasty sugary fruit and um didn't have sharp pointy teeth like this and had a small brain and had a prehensile tail and you know that that was that absolutely but that's five million years ago now we are absolutely obligate hyper carnivores we have changed our 
evolutionary niche in terms of our tactic to gain nutrition as a species modern humans have walked the earth they think for around about 350,000 of those four and a half million years that we've been meat eaters so our entire existence as a species in this species human being we have been basically 100% carnivore except for the last eight to ten thousand years where it, upon at some time about eight or ten thousand years ago some smart cookie said you know what would be a really good idea if instead of eating these yummy yummy woolly mammoths and stuff since the ice is melting now and there's a bit more space why don't we plant a whole bunch of grass seeds and we'll eat those when they when they're mature instead we'll grind them up into a powder and we'll use that to make some kind of thing that we can eat and that'll that'll be great somebody thought well, that was um, about the time that humans became shorter, less robust, less muscularly powerful. That's when our dental problems began. That's when we can first start seeing the signs of cancer and all those kind of things are creeping in as well. Um, it was disastrous. In fact, the only thing we've ever done that was worse as a species for ourselves, nutrition-wise, was to industrially extract oils from seeds, put them in bottles in supermarkets and put a healthy tick on them, saying the Heart Foundation says this stuff's good for you, by the way. Um, that was all bought and paid for, by the way. But seed oils are the only thing worse than plant materials, whole plant materials, carbohydrates and fiber for our, for our well-being, frankly. Um, but that's for another day. That's not why you called. <laughs> we called for all the things <laughs> all the things yeah all the things yeah, good yeah i feel like this the seed oil is a hot topic right now though mm. i see that a lot and it's it's in everything i mean not our meats and stuff but any anything on the shelf it's in mm -hmm. there and yeah. i i hear a lot that a lot of people are pushing back and saying it's it's healthy it's fine Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I don't get how there is such um, a difference of opinion on that. <laughs> yeah, it's because the area which people respect regarding human nutritional requirements and what's likely to be healthy for us and not is this ring fenced area of human nutrition science, so called. There is no science being done in there. Everything that's coming out of that area is bought and paid for by those with huge financial interest and in misleading people and keeping people behooven to A, their food like slop, their non-food slop, B, their nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, etc., that are required for those people whose health falls to bits because they're not doing the right thing by themselves nutritionally. And the whole culture of that. Um, so there are a bunch of criminally misanthropic organizations running around the world. They're all linked together. They're all called the dietetics associations. They are all owned outright by big agriculture. And their, their whole shtuk is meat will give you cancer. Well, no, it doesn't. Saturated fat will give you heart disease. No, it won't. Cholesterol will give you heart disease. No, it won't. 
at all. Nonsense. Eating animals will shorten your lifespan. No, it'll do no such thing. And plants are great. Eat plants. They contain uh, phytochemicals. Phytochemicals are great. Okay. No. And they'll ignore anything contrary to that. In fact, they'll shout down anybody that is prepared to stand up and say, show me your science. Because there isn't any. No science. Science is experimental. The difficulty there, of course, is that it's very hard to get ethics through to do experiments on human beings. Ethics committees tend to be against that. They tend to say, no, you can't do that. And even if they did say yes, if you want to make an assertion about what is likely to be healthy for a human being over a lifespan, guess how long your experiment has to go for? Lifespans of human beings. And also, while you're at it, if you want to do an experiment that is valid and robust and, and can be looked at by others as being such, then you also need to keep the subjects, participants of such a study for a lifetime, locked in a laboratory under observation the entire time to ensure that they follow the, the edicts, the direction that the research design that you've got in play. Failing any of those things, you do not have science. You have ideology. And you can twist it around to your um, source of funding. And that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. The mere fact, put it this way, if, you, if people want, to, want a, a one-part argument as to why there is no such thing as human nutrition science or one thing that, that proves it absolutely, here it is. We are still having this discussion with people about what is good for humans in terms of their nutrition, their diet, how we should eat. There are still people running around saying veganism is the answer. There are people running around saying carnivore is the answer. There are people running around saying we're omnivores though and a balanced diet is the right approach. If we had the science, the hard science, the irrefutable science, we would have the answer and the discussion would be ended finished there would be nothing to discuss anymore look out the window on a sunny day what color is the sky it is blue we are done we have the answer observations every single time it's a cloudless sky and the sun is shining the sky is blue we agree done we don't have that nutrition why not because we don't have the observations. Nobody has looked out the window because we're not allowed to look out that window. Ethics committees won't allow it. Practicalities don't allow it and finance doesn't allow it. So we have to play silly guessing games. Epidemiology though is what we have to do and that's not science. I, I think a lot of people, you and I had a conversation about this when I talked to you a couple months ago. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand what the studies how they're being done nowadays. So um, you and I had a great conversation about this and it, there are no, the controls are very limited in the studies that are being done right now. No control. So there, there's no control. And by that, um, you know, a study might be trying to prove or disprove that red meat is bad for you. So they'll look at people who eat a lot of red meat. And that's all that that's all the context that it's really giving, you know, oh, these people eat a lot of red meat and then they got ABCD. But what they're not looking at is 
how much alcohol are they consuming? Because statistically red meat eaters drink a little drink and drink alcohol. They also smoke. We know that these things contribute to a million different issues. Um, What other types of food are these people eating their red meat with? Are we just eating a steak or are we eating a cheeseburger with French fries on it? You know, with French fries served. Um, So I don't think people understand that we're not talking about a plate of a grass fed um, ribeye. We're talking my cat is the real, the real, uh, the real star right now. Um, she has the red eyes going on. She's human. <laughs> um, human, I have not been fed in five minutes. Human. He, uh, what are you doing? He knows we're talking about eating. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that those controls are not available because you can't do it. You can't do that with hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people. Oh my God. Um, and so <laughs> I can't get anything done. Um, but yeah, I just don't think people understand that those controls, that those, those don't exist. That is not being done. And all the studies that you do see, these people are still drinking and smoking and eating fried foods and their burgers are cooked in vegetable oil or they're using margarine instead of butter. Um, and that is contributing to these like conclusions that you are going to die if you eat red meat, you know? Yeah, yeah they're not like testing a strict carnivore diet or I have comments like oh my my grandpa ate like this and he blah 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 it's like what 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 else was he eating like I'm sure I would I would I would bet a million dollars that he wasn't a strict carnivore that he's probably having some mashed potatoes or something so it's like with all these like you it's not just on strictly meat there's other things going on and it's not fair (laughs) and I also think like are they drinking soda with the burgers and fries you know like that in itself is gonna just, you know, jack up any, you know, disease that you're going to get. We know sugar causes diseases. So I just, mm. yeah, I think that that when you talk about research and how there is no human data that is accurate. And there is one study by Harvard that did people on a strict carnivore diet and the results were overwhelmingly positive. That's the only study that has studied a strict carnivore diet recently mm-hmm. and of course it was all positive and we know this we know yep. that this is going to be the result but um people don't like to hear it and there's also one study that was done in 2020 about seed oils by the university california university or university of california that said um i think it was soybean oil contributes to diabetes and heart disease, but no one's talking about it because it's such an unpopular opinion to have. It goes against, I can't even believe that they got funding for that number one, being a huge university, but I've never seen this on the news ever. You won't because the news is also owned by the same people that own the science. Exactly. Accepted narrative is what you get to hear. Anyone that stands up and says anything that's not accepted narrative is silenced. And I believe you've experienced that. Yes, didn't um, did you have your YouTube taken down a couple months ago? I had a period there of it ended up being three weeks where I was under sanction because the YouTube system works whereby they have terms and conditions in terms of what they find acceptable and not, which they can change at any time without advising anybody what's acceptable or not, and they can apply their new standards backdated to old videos that were acceptable when they were produced as well. 
go figure that makes a lot of sense doesn't it so i had two of my videos suffer a strike for breaching their community standards which they're also not clear about what the standards are they're fairly ambiguous fairly loosely worded they also refused to provide a transcript of what was said that was problematic or even a timestamp of when it was said in the video they also will not be questioned they are the great they are they are the end arbiter of all things and you don't get a say in it whatsoever and what they do is the first time you get a strike they take the video down that offended them in some way and they disallow you from live streaming or posting any videos for a week or indeed appearing on any other YouTube channel, whether it belongs to you or not. You are not allowed to be there for a week. And that's called strike one. If it happens a second time within 90 days, they call that strike two. They put an additional two weeks penalty on you. They take that video down as well. And then they say, get a third strike before 90 days and we'll take your channel down permanently. The problem I had was that one of my, that the second strike I got was on a video that had been on my channel available to view without any problem or any sanction against any terms and conditions for 11 months. So what I had to do to protect the safety of my channel's continued existence is I had to take down every single one of my old videos because YouTube are clearly not a good faith actor. They clearly don't want to play fair. They want to penalize and punish people who want to espouse anything except the accepted narrative as paid for by the good sensible adults at the American Dietetics Association, the World Health Organization, or the Climate Scientists Board, whatever they're called. Um, they're the hot buttons that will annoy the YouTube people if you talk the truth about any of those things. And as such, they'll penalize you for it. So I had to take down all my videos because I didn't know which ones were safe and which ones were not safe. How could I know? Because they're not going to tell you. So I had to start again with a whole suite of new videos, all of which meet the current standards and let all those strikes fall over because they all come off your channel within a certain period of time. And so as it stands now, my slate is clean again. But at any time, YouTube could start the same nonsense. Again, they could say, here's a strike, here's a second strike, in which case I'd have to take all my videos down again before they can strike me a third time and start again in order to protect the existence of the channel. But it also means that all my existing videos all disappear from view and can't be seen and all that kind of stuff, except that I have a parallel platform called Odyssey that I've posted all my old videos on. So they're all still there, well over a thousand of them. So if anybody is missing my old style videos, all my old stuff where I used to say things and stuff, if you go to Odyssey and look up Bart K Nutrition Science Watchdog, you'll find a channel there that contains well over a thousand of my videos, all of them right back to the beginning. They're all still there. So there you go. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, at first, that's insane that they that they do that and censor just because they don't agree. Um, but it's mm. smart to have your own stuff. I mean, I hear that all the time. If social media could disappear tomorrow, how, how are your people going to find you? So it's good to have mm. your own platform. And I'm glad you have those videos. That's just maddening. I mean, I feel like the day is going to come where that happens to me on TikTok because 
I swear every few days I'm getting restricted from being able to comment because of something I said, mm. yet the things I see and, and the videos that pop up, I'm like, how is this acceptable? But me mm. talking about this, like I'm getting censored. It's insane. Yeah. Insane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, Doc. I know you're. I know you got. You, you usually have these lined up back to back to back. So, can you just tell everyone? We know where you can. We can find you on that one platform. You're here on YouTube. Um, yep. What's your channel name? Where can everyone find you? Other platforms. Right. So my main channel is that one there, Bart K Health Science. If you punch in Bart K into any search engine of your choice, you cannot not find me. It will be the first three or four pages of results will either be my stuff or people making comments about my stuff and telling the world how wrong I am about everything. I'm not, by the way, but that's <laughs> what I feel they have to do. I thought I was wrong once, but I, it turns out I was mistaken about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I'm never wrong on anything ever. How dare you? Um, of course. So that's where you find me. Um, I have four or five other YouTube channels, all of which are linked under every one of my videos in the show notes. So you can find all of those channels and subscribe to all of those at your whim and pleasure. Um, several of them are also about nutrition and are of a slightly different style. For example, the Meat Militia is more a comedy style channel. That's the actual home of the bloke that runs around wearing a military uniform and marching up and down the square <laughs> and has a little friend called Yellow Ted, who is an absolute expert in camouflage. Look, look how good he is at camouflage. Unbelievable. Um, so that's where you find all of that stuff. I have another channel called the Institute for Scientific Integrity, which is also a nutrition-based channel, but that's the one where I wear collar and tie and am entirely professorial and never say short words of one syllable with four letters in them like I do on my main channel. It's not for everybody. Some people don't like the cursing that I undertake on my main channel. Um, that's their problem. It, it's for clicks. It works. That's why I do it. If it didn't work, I wouldn't do it. Okay, so... <laughs> For those people, I can recommend some really good analgesic creams for your inflamed uh, anal sphincters. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Um, I also have channels about New Zealand nature and how beautiful this part of the world is. I've also got another one that's dedicated to singing and the playing of guitar, which is another interest I have, by the way. So that's just something that people can look for if they're interested in that. Never the world's greatest musician, not claiming to be, but if you're into that, it's there. Um, the alternate platform I was just talking about where you can find all my old stuff is Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, -E, and my main channel there is called Bart K Nutrition Science Watchdog, and as I say, everything is there from, you know, including all the old live streams and everything. Human, I have still not been fed. Pay attention, human. <laughs> no way. My son was gone all weekend and hit, that's his buddy. So now he's like, oh, Liam was no. there. So now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that, you know what? They don't, they're never in here unless I need to lock the door and close it for an interview. So it's just, it, it's like, I, I have children everywhere. So that's where you find me anyway. That's, that's my social medias. I also have, um, Instagram, where I am Bart underscore K underscore nutrition. 
you can follow me there if you like. I'm not really much of a user of, of Instagram, but I am there. Uh, I used to have um, a Twitter account. I no longer, well, I still have the account, but I no longer use Twitter. I can't access Twitter and I will not be told to withdraw a statement that I made in order to get access. Nobody tells me what to do. So it's a standoff there. So I'll probably never use Twitter again. Uh, I'm also on the face pages. If people want to look me up there, I have a commercial sort of account and a personal account as well. Um, if you want to be unfriended and blocked immediately, just ask me what my name is or where I live. That'll do it. Or call me dear. That'll do it. <laughs> um, otherwise, all comers are welcome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate you so much for giving us the science and breaking it down. I am the science. You are the science. You're, That's a joke. I'm, I'm doing a fancy joke. Yeah. I'm never wrong, and I am the science. Yes. I am the That's, science. that's what Pim is saying to me every time I say something about the science. She goes, but you are the science. I'm like, you're here to help, aren't you, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We yes, uh, thank you. appreciate it. Appreciate right. it. My pleasure.